ourselves to you. Lord, we honor you. You guys can stay praying. No, we're not stopping. Uh, we honor you, Lord. We, we set ourselves apart for you. Lord, as this country was founded in, on your principles and was set apart for you. How beautiful to see the blessing that came on this nation. People of every tribe, every tongue, every language, just as the gospel in the church was made. The church is not for Jew or Greek. It's neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, neither male nor female. It's for all. And I believe that this nation was so blessed and honored by God because it is the model of his kingdom. It is the model of being served under and putting him as the king of kings and the lord of lords and his design and his plans and there's been much blessing that's came to this nation the church the blessing rests on the church the blessing rests on the church and there's been a lot of things come and and i just want to encourage you that jesus hasn't changed he is the same he is exactly the same he's he's not a shifting shadow that moves around He's the same. The word tells us that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So no matter what's happening in our lives, no matter what's happening in the news, no matter what's happening in our communities, Jesus hasn't changed. It's us that at times change, and we drift, or we'll go apart from him, and we'll see different things happen in our life, and it'll cause us to take a step back or to move to the left, but he hasn't moved. He hasn't changed, so it's our spot and our responsibility to align ourselves with him to get ourselves back in line with this word, which is true, every single part of it. No matter what our situation speaking to us, no matter what the enemy speaking, this truth speaks louder. His word speaks better things. His word speaks better things. Church, his word speaks better things. We are, his word tells us that we're not the tail, we're the head. We are sons and daughters of the most high God. And there's authority that comes with that. There's, there's power that comes with that. He's equipped us with the Holy Spirit, who is our great teacher, and he leads us and guides us into all truth. And he goes before us, and he's our comforter, and he's our convictor, and he will strengthen us and empower us with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He wants to come upon you and give you dunamis power, supernatural power, not your own natural ability, not your own natural power to overcome things or to go through things, but a supernatural power. How many need that? Like... You, you, you're not, you're not going to be able to just go through stuff in the natural. You're going to need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You're going to need the empowerment from on high to equip you, to motivate you, to encourage you, to empower you in the gifts that he has for you and that he wants them poured out, not just on you, but in your family and in the community. You guys, the, this thing that happened in uh, Texas, this shooting, these things didn't happen 50 years ago. Those things didn't happen. What has changed? And don't be start pointing your finger at the government. When those things start happening, I start hearing Christians and even people in the family start thinking, well, the government, they need to do this. They need to. The government's not the answer. What happened is we, the church, if we're going to, you need to start with us, the church. Because God didn't empower and equip the government. God equipped and empowered the church. So what happened is pastors and preachers and elders and teachers and mothers and fathers, they quit teaching the truth. They quit teaching the truth. 
they allowed and we've allowed the world to dictate to us what morality is, what a marriage is, what a home's supposed to look like. And in turn, you see the mess that we're in. So let me help, let me help you. It's not going to be the government going to fix this. It's, it's going to be us. And we are going to have to be people who are called by his name, who will humble themselves and pray and seek his face and turn from their wicked ways. Then he will hear our prayers. He will forgive our sin and he will heal our land. But it's got to start here. We have to put him first in our life. And we have to establish our homes on his principles. What, as the home goes, the nation goes. Church, don't ever, as your home goes, the nation goes. And you've heard me say, if it's, if it's not happening in your life, then it's not happening in the church. You want to look at other, look, we got to look at ourselves and say, Lord, he took 12 men, guys, 12 men who were not educated. They weren't the best looking. They weren't the best speaking. They weren't the best preaching. They were fishermen, tax collectors, a bunch of hobnob of people. But he called them, he taught them, he equipped them, and he poured out his spirit upon them. And they went and flipped the world upside down. Now, how dare we think that he doesn't want to do the same thing with us? We, we can sit by and watch the enemy steal, kill, and destroy and say, well, it's this, 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 and the government should do this, and these people should do that. No, what are we doing? And it's not a weak thing to pray. Let me tell you, prayer is powerful, but you need to put some action to your prayers too. The book of James says, faith without works is dead. Well, let me tell you, church, if, you, if faith is dead, it means it's non-existent. It's dead, it means it's not there. So the church can say all they want. Well, we have faith. We, if there's no action behind your faith, then it's dead. And if that means then it's not there, then that means you're not saved. If the faith is dead, it's not alive. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. Is that my opinion or is this God's word? He says without faith, it's impossible to please me. And he says, if you say you have faith and you do nothing with your faith, it's dead. Then that means you're not pleasing God. How are we to be pleasing God in this day and age? We're to be the light of the world. We're to be the salt of the earth. We're to make people hunger and thirst for our God. The Bible says they will see our good works and glorify our Father. Church, we, we need to wake up. 50 years ago, the morals were taught in the homes and in the schools. But guess what, church? I don't care what the school doesn't teach or teaches. It's our responsibility to teach and equip our kids and our family, and we're to have the effect on those around us in the community. We are to speak the truth in love. We are to stand up for what's right. We are to call on those who are broken, who we see. Church, these people that are going around, it's obvious when you see them. That kid was broken. He'd been lied to. He would been dressed up. He'd been dressing like a woman. I saw the pictures. This guy was so confused and messed up. He was believing what the culture's telling them is right. Looking for identity. And the only place we're going to find identity is in Christ. 
Who's going to tell them? You can see people. They're broken. Their heads are down. They look like death. They look like they're so depressed. You can see it. Church, who's going to do something? You waiting for the school? See, Jesus didn't call the school. Jesus didn't call the uh, government officials. He didn't call the politicians. He called us. He said, we're the ambassadors. We're the ones who go and bring light into those dark places. He's going to ask you, what did you do with my son? What did you do with my name? What did you do with my authority? What did you do with the baptism of the Holy Spirit? What did you do with the gifts that I've given you? He's church. He said, I came and brought with a sword. Don't forget that. He said, I come with a sword. I will divide mothers and fathers and parents. He didn't come just to sing kumbaya so everyone just gets along. He came and brought truth. There was nothing that Jesus said or did that wasn't 100% truth. He spoke that for three years and they murdered him. The darkness hated the light. How, how have I survived this long as a Christian? How come more people don't hate me? Now look, I'm not, that's not my goal. But if I'm following Jesus, religious people are going to hate me. The sinners are going to love me. Because I'm going to be bringing love and light to them. I'm going to be showing them that they don't have to go to hell. But how are they going to do it if we don't go? He's given you a voice. He's given you eyes to see with his eyes. He's given you ears to hear their cries. He's given you ears to hear, and it can be overwhelming at times. But greater is he that is in you than he that's in the world. But it's got to start here. Revival starts here. If you write the word revival, I challenge you, go home and write revival. There's an eye right in the middle of it. You know when revival happens? When you draw a line through that eye. You cross out that eye and revival happens. It's, see, it's not about what is comfortable for me. It's not about what I want to do. See, I've got to count my life as lost, as gone. I've counted my costs. And Jesus didn't shy away from that, church. You don't hear pastors teach this, but he said, count the cost. Oh, good teacher, I want to follow you. Okay, come follow me. Now go sell everything you have. And go give it. He, Jesus didn't say, sell everything you have and give it to me. He said, go sell everything you have and give it to whoever you like. Give it to the poor. Come follow me. The man went away sad because he had much. Oh, good, I want to follow you. Well, come follow me. Well, I got to go bury my dad. But let the dead bury their dead. Come follow me. You see, Jesus never hid that. He said, you want to follow me? Count the cost. We want to follow you. Okay, well, pick up your cross. Follow me. I'm going to a place of death. And church, we're so strong. We're trying to preserve our lives. Jesus said, you try to preserve your life, you'll lose your life. He goes, you want to have life? Then let go of your life. And you'll have eternal life. So what life do we want? We want this temporary, comfy Jesus' life wasn't comfortable. Now, I'm, I like comfortable chairs. We bought these here. 
But this can't be like where this is, the, this is my spot. No. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, when Jesus is challenging you, you've got to be willing to get off the comfortable seat and go maybe to sit on a hard concrete floor where he might call you. He might call you to go into a place that's not air-conditioned. He might call you to a country that isn't free, but he wants you to be the freedom that that country needs. Jesus loves this nation, but, but this isn't, he loves the world. God so loved the world that he gave, what? The best he had, everything, his son, himself. And he laid down his life for those who were lost, and how dare we not? And that might not be that you got to take a bullet, but it might. But maybe it means you just deny yourself once in a while. Maybe it means you lay down your life, your will. Of, well, maybe it's not about what I want. Maybe it's about what he wants. See, we're good to say that, but do we mean it? What do we do when the Holy Spirit, who's supposedly in charge, not just here on Sunday, but Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, when we see the person that looks like, man, they're a mess. They probably don't, they don't like people. They looks like they're having a horrible day. And they look like they'll bite my head off. But the Holy Spirit goes, oh, I sure love them. Would you go talk to them? Would you go encourage them? Oh, I don't know. I, well, maybe that's just my flesh. No, it ain't your flesh. It's the Spirit of God. And last time I checked, he's in charge. And he speaks to us, and we're going to give an account. Sin isn't just committing offenses. It's not doing what he says. That's, that's missing the mark. When he's calling us to, to go pray for someone, or he's calling us to make a phone call to someone, or he's calling us to just go tell someone, you know what, Jesus loves you. Or to pray for someone. I prayed for a waitress this week. And I'm not telling you this because of, just telling you this because, God, you guys, move out. God is moving and preparing people in this time like I've never seen. I simply asked the waitress, can I pray for you? She said, yes. I want you to pray for my mom. Okay. She took off. I can't pray right now, though. I said, whenever you can. She came back. I got to pray. She's weeping, just weeping, crying, flooded tears. You think she felt the presence of the Lord? I'll guarantee it. You guys, the Holy Spirit wants this more than you. So if you're feeling that he's speaking to you or he's prompting you, he's preparing the other side of that. He's been working a lot harder than we have. And we're going to be people who are called by his name. Sons and daughters of God. What did, what did Jesus do? It's what we got to do. What did the disciples do? That's what we got to do. And you're not going to accomplish it in your strength. You're not going to accomplish it in your natural ability. You're going to have to cry out for God and say, God, whatever's going on, whatever hindrances are in me, burn them up, get rid of them. I don't want them. Whatever my excuses are that would keep me from pleasing you and going out and reaching out to the lost, I don't want them. I'm getting rid of them. And you've got to be willing to, yes, make allegiance, Aaron, to him to the King of Kings, to the Lord of Lords. It's not a democracy. It's a kingdom. America don't understand that. He is a king. He's not a president. We don't vote for him in. We don't ask other people's opinion. What do you think? He's a king. And we bow to the king and we submit ourselves to the king. And he's the king of all kings and the Lord of all lords. And he went and redeemed you and me from the pit with his very own blood. So what we're, our right thing to do is say, 
Lord, your will be done. Lord, my life is not my own any longer. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for pulling me from the pit. How can I serve you today? Jesus also gave parables of the servant. He said, does a servant, after he's been told to go out and work in the field, when he comes back in, does the servant have a right to think he's done anything? Or does the servant, if his master says, now I want you to make dinner, what's the servant's role? He says he goes and makes dinner. He doesn't think he's done anything. Why? Because he's a servant. Then he goes off, and if, if the master is done with him, then he can go to bed. Church, we have been called to be servants. Our life is not our own. Paul said, I'm a bond servant. He goes, I do this out of love. Even if he turned me loose, I'd stay. we we got to get this thing right. Like, when you came in, it, it, and, and if you haven't done that, like, maybe you just said a prayer. I don't know. But when I came in, I knew it was like standing on the edge of a cliff. And there was like no going back. Like, this is, I'm all in. And you don't just make a quick, like, flippant decision on that. It took me a few days of, of wrestling with God and wrestling with myself. And, okay, my life's not my own. And guess what? That didn't end it. There's going to be times that you're going to be tempted for your life to come back. It's going to want to come back to life. It's going to have needs and desires. That's why Paul said, I crucify my flesh daily. Every single day, your, your natural man is going to want to do something contrary to what God wants for you. So we have to remind ourselves, my life is not my own. I've been bought with a price. And whoa, what a price. The precious, most precious blood of Jesus Christ, the sinless lamb. And that blood was applied to you and me. And now we are sons and daughters of the most high God. That he is gifted and equipped and called for such a time as this. And he's not only called you, he's gifted you and empowered you. He's given you authority to tread on serpents, to smash scorpions. The Bible said that the seed of the serpent would strike the heel of the, of the seed of man, which was Christ. But he said that seed of man would crush the head of the serpent. And guess what? His head's been crushed. His head's been crushed. And now it's our responsibility to walk in that and enforce that. To walk in the truth, walk in love, to carry the, the gospel, the good news to those who are lost and broken and hungry and feed those who are hungry and, and provide for those who are without, not just pray for them. To give of your abundance. Every single person has a role. Some people, well, I don't know, pastor, I can't preach. Well, how much money you got? Some people are super gifted in their business abilities, right? Then Give money to ministries and those people that are so that the gospel can go out. And you're sending people to go preach the gospel. That's no little thing. You're using your gifts. People that have music, musical gifts, bless God with that. You have artistic gifts, bless God with that. You're just a hard-working person, bless God with that. Go bust your butt and work hard and let people see how faithful you are on that job. And they go, man, I want to work with a guy like that. He's always grabbing the jackhammer from me and saying, there, let me do it. How many people want to work with people like that? Those are supposed to be the sons and daughters of God. His sons and daughters are the ones that are faithful. They don't leave a half hour early. They don't cheat. They can be trusted. They represent their father well. 
That's what we got to do if you want to see this stuff change. And we got to look at ourselves. You're not looking outside for someone else to fix it. He gave us the keys to the kingdom. Who do you think is supposed to fix it? Well, God, you need to. How about you guys? I've given you everything you need. I've given you the keys to the kingdom. You're still here on the earth because you're supposed to enforce it. You're the ambassadors. But God, you need to. No, you need to. I've said go into the world and make disciples. He said, I will empower you. He said, these signs will follow those who believe. They'll lay hands on the sick. They'll recover. But you got to go. You got to go. You got to go into the world. You got to go into those spots that he tells you. You got to be obedient if you want to see the blessing. But, oh, we want the blessing. I just want to sit here and sing Kumbaya and God pour him out. There's some blessings only come through obedience. You want to see the full blessing that the church is, and the church has got to be the church. The church has got to do the church stuff. Not give it up for other people to do it. Well, our nation, yes, God bless this country. God bless this nation, but this nation ain't my savior. I'm a part of a kingdom. I do honor the men and women who have fought for this land, for this nation, that we have the freedoms that we have. Can you, can you imagine, you think the veterans that fought, and especially right in the very bad against England, everything they fought so that we could have the religious freedoms that we have, and then we don't do nothing with it? Well, I'm free to go to church. That ain't what they fought for. I think they thought big enough that we need to affect the world church thank god that 50 years ago 100 years ago there was revivals that did go affect the world but what about us i believe he wants to pour out more in the last days than he's ever poured out but there's going to be some requirement on our side you see when you want the power of god in your life you're gonna have to set yourself apart this isn't popular preaching i don't know if nails will even get notes today praise god you'll have to set yourself apart there's going to be some things, and I'm not talking about being legalistic. I'm talking about listening to the Holy Spirit. What's the Holy Spirit saying? He might tell you, I want you to turn off your TV for two hours a day. I want you to spend time in my presence and in my word. What are, now, guess what? You have a responsibility. You have a responsibility. Not to me, to him. He might tell you, I want you to start fasting. I want you to start putting time aside in prayer. I want you to start going out and serving in a certain area. I don't know what he's going to tell you, but I, that's how he talks to me. And how many of those things have, I would encourage you, write them down. Write them down. How many know when something's important, at least for me, when something's super important, I'm like, I don't want to forget that. I get to write it down. Then you write it down. Recognize, we get so used to the Holy Spirit, to God's voice. What if you really, like, Dude, trip out. God, the creator of the universe, is speaking to you. What? Yeah, he's talking to me of all the different people he could be talking to. That needs to shake us. We go, what? And fall on our face. Oh, my Lord, God, you're so awesome. Yes, I'll do. I don't know how. Like, And it's okay to say, I hear you. I don't understand. God's told me stuff like that before. I'm like, I know what you're saying is right. What does it mean? 
especially when I was early saved, I was a knucklehead. And he was so sweet, he'd say, this is what it means. One time he said, you stole my glory, Steve. I asked him, God, how come when I came back after I got saved, two weeks, or I don't know how long it was, not that long, I went back and got drunker and snot, got high again. And then I went to discipleship program, and I'm there, and I'm just thinking, all I can think about, what happens when I get out of here? I do not want to end up like that again. I don't want to go back through that again. He said, you stole my glory. I said, you're right, I did. And then I said, how did I do it? I didn't even know what he meant, but I knew he was right. I said, how did I do it? He said, you said you quit. You see, I got out, and people were like, oh, you want to get high? No, man, I quit. You want to buy? No, man, I quit. I kept saying I. That's where that I's got to get crossed out for revival. I, I, I. Guess what I did? I fell whack, flat on my face. And he brought me back to those. He said, that's how you stole my glory. I said, I'll never do it again. I'll never do it again. So you know what I said from that point on? Hey, dude, you want to get high? No. God set me free from that. You, you want to? No. God delivered me from that. God did that in my life. People would see my motorcycle. Oh, that's a nice bike. The Lord gave that to me. Oh, that's a nice truck. Yes, it is. The Lord gave me that. Because guess what? I didn't have none of that. I was tore up from the floor up. Beat up from the feet up, wrecked up from the neck up. Every single, every possible way. So he'll speak to you. And, and it's okay if you don't understand. You say, Lord, what's it mean? He'll give you the explanation. But then you got to do something with it. Then you got to put it into it. Because you guys, he talks all the time. All the time. Like, when he says he puts someone on your heart, I've been learning more and more because there's been a bunch of times when I didn't do it right when he said, and then I wished I would have. That means, okay, Lord, I'm going to stop. I'm going to make a phone call. Hey, I was thinking about you. Is everything all right? You know how many times we're like, oh, my gosh, you know how timely that was? Not really, but apparently he did. Right? We're not that good. We're not that smart. We just got to do what he says. He's that good. He's that smart. Humble ourselves in the silence, and he will lift us up. Hope, I'm not preaching. I am preaching at you, but I'm, I'm preaching with you. We got, we've got to shake ourselves, walk in a different way than we've been walking. Because... What's happening in this world is no, listen to me, it's no one else's fault but ours. Do you believe that? It's the truth, whether you believe it or not. If he's given this world to our care, did he not? So much so, he says, who you forgive, I'll forgive. Who you bless, I'll bless. Did he not say that? That's power right there. He says, those who you've, you've prayed with and you said your sins are forgiven, they're forgiven. That's power. He ain't playing around. He's went all in with the church. He laid down his life for the church. Not so that we could sit back and go, well, that was a good service. While kids are shooting up other kids. 
Well, the murder and the rape, like, you think the government, they're not going to fix this. They're letting people out of prison. There's no justice. People need Jesus. They need their hearts changed, their lives changed, so that they don't go and keep doing that. Well, you get about 10 minutes. You need Jesus every day. Don't, don't get that twisted. I'm a man and I'm fallible. This, this, the title of the message was the qualifications of overseers of the church, leaders of the church. If you're making notes, I would change it to say all who want to be used by God. All who want to be used by God. Who wants to be used by God? Okay, well, do you want to know what the qualifications are to be used by God? Timothy and Titus tells us very plainly. 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1. I'm going to run through this quick because you guys got a truckload of Holy Spirit already. He taught Timothy when Timothy was about to take over the church in Ephesus. He said, this is a trustworthy saying. If someone aspires to be a church leader, he desires an honorable position. So you want to be used by God, that's honorable. It must be a man whose life is above reproach. Must be faithful to his wife. That means a one-woman man. That's what that means. Not polygamy, not multiple wives. He must exercise self-control, live wisely, and have a good reputation. He must enjoy having guests in his home. That means he must be hospitable. And he must be able to teach. He must not be a heavy drinker or be violent. He must be gentle, not quarrelsome, not love money. Listen, this is a big one. He must manage his own family well, having children who respect and obey him. For if a man cannot manage his own household, how can he take care of God's church? Question mark. You see, guys, we as the church, we've got to get this as the priority and the most important thing rather than man's ideas and thoughts and opinions. Because the church, I believe, in my humble opinion, drifted, I don't know how long back, but as soon as the world started putting up real high um, price for education, so did the church. As soon as the world started putting people in big positions that had lots of education, the church would do the same thing. And I'm okay with education. I'm okay with learning and being taught. But there's something that's got to be happened first before that. You've got to be called. Because the ministry isn't a job. I remember I, I tried out for a pastor at one time. And throughout that tryout um, and the questions that came, they kept saying job, job job and I I think I didn't get the job because I corrected a couple things and I said I just want to say that to me this isn't a job a pastor it is a calling I understand what you're saying that there's responsibilities that would come with a job but I said a pastor is a much high much higher calling than a job 
I said, you can look back at my job reference and job records and see what kind of an employee I was, and I better have been a good one. But a, a calling is much higher than a job. So somewhere along the way, we, we, can, we can go and look at people's credentials, and they can got masters and doctorates and doctorates and doctorates and, and all those things. But biblically, it said he must manage his own family well, having children who respect and obey him. For if a man cannot manage his own household... How can he take care of God's household? Says God's church. But isn't it funny that God designed the body to be a family? And he puts people in leadership of his family who supposed to be have been faithful with their family. That's God's design. And it's a pretty simple one. Right? But the church doesn't look necessarily as that much anymore. I remember one of the places that um, I was going to be licensed and they had lots of different questions, and, and, but they didn't ask too many questions. They didn't ask if I've ever murdered anybody, which I thought was interesting, but they asked if I'd been divorced before. I thought, wow, it's better if I murder somebody than if I was divorced. And I said, no, I haven't been divorced, but I want to say, but I've done this, 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 this. You got a problem? Isn't that weird? They didn't, they didn't ask some different questions. I'm not talking about our, our organization. So if anyone's upset, don't be. I'm just saying, like, this is, this is what happens. People that, the questions that get asked for people to be in leadership aren't always, biblical, aren't always biblical questions. The biblical standard is that you should be taking care of your family very well, and that qualifies and equips you to be able to take care of God's family. You want to be leaders in the church? You need to take care of your family very well. Church. You need to do a good job with that. You need to be faithful with that. And then the Lord will trust you to be faithful with his family. Does that make sense? Wouldn't you do that? If Do, do we not do that? If, we, if someone's going to take care of our kids or watch our kids, if they have kids, do you look at their kids? You're going to drop your kids off with someone? Those kids don't look like they've been fed in a week. They're filthy, dirty. They look like they've been abused. Oh, would you watch my kids for me? But, yo, we got all kinds of, oh, I want to lead. I want to lead in the church. And we've had lots of people lead in the church that had the paperwork, they had the credentials, they had all these other things, licenses and ordination certificates. But they weren't taking care of their family. And in my opinion, then you're disqualified. He goes on and says that a church leader must not be a new believer because he might become proud and the devil would cause him to fall. Well, that's an interesting verse. How's once saved, always saved fit, fit with that one? He's talking about leaders in the church that can fall and be fall into the devil's trap. Or the Greek will say this, have the same fate as the devil. That's what the Greek says. That's not good. That means they were saved. They were going to be put in positions or in positions of leadership in the church and because they had pride and they were young, they could, they could be fall. That's, that doesn't sound like 
eternal security. If, if the leaders, right, that are those big guys way up there, I'm just kidding. If it can happen to them, it could happen to us puny little guys. Titus said it this way. Timothy told Titus, or I'm sorry, Paul told Titus, poor Titus, he left him on the Isle of Crete. If you've done any study on the on Cretans or the Isle of Crete, those people were rough, boy. Those people were rough. They were wild. They were off the hook. He said, I left you on the island of Crete so you can complete our work there and appoint elders in each town as I instructed you. An elder must live a blameless life. He must be faithful to his wife, and his children must be believers who don't have a reputation for being wild or rebellious. A church leader is a manager of God's household. There you go. So he must live a blameless life. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered. He must be, not be a heavy drinker, violent, or dishonest with money. Rather, he must enjoy having guests in his home. He must love what is good. He must live wisely and be just. He must live a devout and disciplined life. I really like verse 9. He must have a strong belief in the trustworthy message he was taught. You guys want to be used by God? You better have a strong belief in the message of the gospel. You better be passionate about the truth of God. You better have a strong belief because that's what's, in, that's what's needed in for, for the next part to come. It says, then he will be able to encourage others with wholesome teaching. How, church, are you going to encourage anyone else if you don't believe it yourself? How are you going to encourage anyone else if you're not passionate about the Holy Spirit and passionate about the Lord yourself? You're not passionate about the Word of God. How are you going to lead someone else? And yet, people being passionate about the gospel gets them in trouble. Because we want this real calm, real sedated, just talk very nice and kind, tickle my ears. No, that's, that's not what it says. He says, you better have a strong belief, a trustworthy message. He says, then you'll be able to encourage others with wholesome teaching and show those who oppose it where they're wrong. People are going to oppose it? Yeah, and then you need to show them where they're wrong. And I've had people argue, well, you shouldn't argue about those things. Um, that's my job. Now, not foolish things, not things that don't matter. Like, you want to eat that or you don't? I don't care. Eat what you want. You feel the Lord's telling you don't eat that? Don't eat it. I'm with you on that. Listen to the Lord. The fact that, like, there's so many weird things going on. There's people I know that are, like, solid believers are getting misled into weird things. Beliefs that, basically, you can kind of believe whatever you want, and at the end, God's going to come back and, like, witness to you again and give you an opportunity to get right after you're dead. What? You flipped your lid. No, he's not. He's already showed the way. He's like, you need to follow me. I've opened up the door. The path is narrow. He said there's going to be a time at the end that it's the separation of the wheat and tares, right? Sheep and goats. Like, you're in or you're not. The book is closed and it's over, Rover. That's a different gospel. we got to be like, no, that is not okay because that's a very dangerous heresy. 
You're going to have people just go like, oh, well, do whatever you want. You know, the Lord will sort it out, and then he'll come back and see, do you, do you want to go to hell or not? Well, Hitler don't want to go to hell. But that's where he's at. You go, Pastor, are you crazy? No, this is for real, church. This stuff is happening. The first thing that stood out to me in this passage was it says it's an honorable thing to lead and you must live honorable lives. You want to lead? You want to be leaders in the church? That's an honorable thing, but you're going to need to live honorable lives. Not perfect. Not perfect. I love that. uh, How many were blessed by Pastor Tim last week? Great ministry. You guys preached the house down. You know what I loved about him the most is he was real. He was real. He said, you know what? I'm not perfect. There's still times I, I'll mess with my wife and I'll be frustrated with her and, and go complain to God about her. And then the God straightens me out and says, you need to get right. I'm like, he says the same thing to me. <laughs> That's how I know he's hearing from the Lord. <laughs> it's that woman you gave me. No, I'm just kidding. That didn't work for Adam either. <laughs> but we need to live honorable lives knowing that, look, quit looking at your leaders as like they're perfect. There's only Jesus is perfect. Men are going to fail you. There's going to come a point. You're, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to be there when you need me at some point in time in your life. You're going to look and go, why did he do that? Well, he's, he should act more godly than that. I will promise you, most of you have already saw it. If you haven't, you will. I'm not going to do that intentionally, but I just promise you, I'm a human being. Now, my wife, she's pretty close to perfect. I'm working. I'm just going to hit a couple of these and let you guys go. I need you to see this, that throughout these two passages, and if you keep reading, you're going to see that family life is super important to the Lord. So much so that he talks right off the bat about how a husband treats his wife. That relationship, that, that you're faithful. You don't have side things. You hear me? That you're honorable, you're faithful to your wife, first and foremost. Then it goes on into your family. And that you're self-controlled. You're not a drunk. You're not abusive. You're not these different things. But but the main topic that I believe in, in basically is is the Lord wants us to and this isn't a Father's Day message, but you could, it, who knows what I'll preach on Father's Day. So this might be the Father's Day's message today. You don't know. But it's so important, and it's linked to the church because the church is God's family. I, I really, was, as I see in this, I was like, Lord, this is so powerful. You did this on purpose because you care for your family. And if you're going to put people in charge of your family, they better have been faithful with theirs. Amen. And I would say that's why another reason it says don't put a young person in leadership. I don't believe if you haven't been married and you haven't had a wife, you haven't had kids, you're not qualified to, to, to lead a church. Now, you might disagree with me on that, but that's okay. Here's what I know. Oh, the Lord's going to teach you some things when he brings someone else into your life and you've got to live with someone else and they think differently than you. Someone was brave enough to say Amen. Oh, you're going to learn some things. You're going to learn that it's not all about you. You're going to learn what love is supposed to be, that you lay down what your wants and wills are for someone else. Oh, and then the kids come along. And they're so amazing. Each one of them have their own unique personal um, ways that God's made them, and they are all about themselves. 
They are. Those little suckers, they're awesome, but they are all about them. And you've got to live in that environment and love them and manage that and put their best interests first and care for them and love on them and teach them. And if you go through that successfully, you're qualified to work with you all (laughs) and me. Do you see God's plan in that? I totally do. I'm like, Lord, it's almost comical. But he linked the church because the church is his family. And it's the perfect proving ground for leadership, I believe. It's the perfect proving ground. It's where we learn who we are. This is why it's so perfect. If you're writing notes on the back of your, um, there's, I would write these things down. You don't have to. Listen back to the message. But here's, here's why it, it's the perfect proving ground, I believe. It's where we learn who we are. That's where you're supposed to learn who you are in your family, in your home, not at school. It's where you find your true identity. It's where you find your value. And it's where we find our purpose. And hopefully our assignment. Don't you think the family should be where we learn who we are? Isn't that where kids should find out who they are in their home? Find out what their identity is, who they are. Who does God say that they are? That's what we should be doing as parents, instilling that into our kids. Where they find their value, how precious they are, how valuable they are to us and to the Lord. Because I'll tell you what, they're not going to get it in their education. They're going to get taught that this world was just an explosion, a mistake, an accident, and they're nothing more than, a, than just a surprise, poof. There's no reason for life, and there's no value to life. And identity is whatever you choose to decide it is today. You see the problems we're having? Where does it have to get straightened out? At home. Here's what I can tell you. When, when you are take a kid... And you put them in an environment, I don't care what environment it is, and they know who they are, they know what their value is, they know their identity, they know their purpose, nothing's going to shake them. They're going to go into whatever environment that is, and they'll go, that ain't the truth, that ain't who I am. And they're going to say, you need to be careful how you talk to me. You might, I've been there. You might talk to all these other people that way. Hold on a second. I was on a job with this crazy, raving, lunatic foreman, and just because I was a Christian didn't mean that I didn't t- have to check him once in a while. Hey, check this out, bro. I told him one time, you're not my dad. My dad don't even talk to me like that. Like, you ain't going to cuss me like that. You're not going to do that. Why? I actually have value for myself. There was a time I didn't. But I actually know who I am. I'm a son of the Most High. Like, I have value. You might not understand it, but I'm not going to let you treat me like that. You have a purpose. And I pray that the church, we go from, like, that was a great book, The Purpose Driven Life. That was good. But, but there's way more than purpose. There's, there's a call. Like, there's a, an assignment. God has an assignment. Like, the difference between your purpose is it's yours. We need to mature to we go, what's your assignment, Lord? 
right? What's your assignment? What would your purpose be? What do you want me to do? I wanna, I'm going to brag on my son just for a little bit. You guys know I don't do this very often, um, and I did ask permission before I put him in a sermon. Um, but he, he, a few weeks ago, during the message, felt very convicted by the Lord and um, challenged by the, by the scripture and by, by the message. And he said the Lord began to deal with him and tell him, I want you to go back to the high school. You see, during when COVID happened, we took our kids out of school because we didn't know what they were doing. I don't think they knew what they were doing. So we decided, well, we know what we're doing. So we'll, <laughs> we're going to take care of them and teach them. So um, he had shared that. He goes, Dad, he goes, I really like, and I know he's like that. Um, it's, he can get his work done early. He can sleep in a little bit. He can work and make some extra money, like all kinds of cool things. But he said, Dad, you were preaching and saying how we needed to go out and make a difference in the world. And he said that the Lord began to bring back to memory a bunch of my different friends and the struggles that they were having. And some of the other even kids in the church, like, he goes, I feel like God wants me to go, go, to, go to Argonaut and establish a faith club there and, and like get the Christians and some of the other guys and just like build them up and like try to try to build a team of believers on that campus and I want to have an effect the people in that campus need Jesus dad and he said he goes after you preach he goes I went to the altar just to make sure and the Lord the Lord definitely confirmed it and uh he got done and he was telling me in the car he goes dad what do you think I said son that sounds to me like you need to do what God's telling you to do you need to listen to him amen and guess what? He's going to ask you to do things sometimes that you would rather not do. It might be more comfortable to stay home. It might be easier for your walk and your faith to not be mixed up in that mess. But guess what? It's not about you. It's about the lost, dying world that needs to see Jesus. And if they're, how are they going to see Jesus unless you go in that place? So you need to know, not go just about what's, what's God, what do you want from me? Like, or what do I want from me? What's my desires and god what's your purpose now i will promise you as you start doing that the joy of the lord will be your strength like i used to go into the jail i loved going into the jail and ministering i might go in there at times and i'd be like frustrated or maybe I didn't have a good day but when god's using you and it wasn't because there was lots of people and no one's seen it but the lord and the guys in the jail but when i got to minister there was something powerful that would happen i would feel like i was doing what god asked me to do and there's nothing better than that than knowing your father's pleased with you, whether it's a little thing or a big thing. So the man's supposed to be faithful. I'm going to jump past that. Manage his own family well. Um, this is not just that they're submitted and well-behaved children with good attitudes, perfect little angels. Church, that's been the model. I remember growing up in church, and you like everyone's supposed to sit there with their legs perfect and their hands folded and don't say a word and... That's not what they're talking about. But this is what it means. It means that the leader, you want to be used by the Lord, it means that, that we have discipled, we have disciplined, cared for, protected our children and family. We have lived in such a way that our children are not turned off by hypocrisy and double standards. And that we have represented Christ so well to our family that they want to serve the Lord also. Did you hear that? We've discipled, which means it's the first part of the word discipline. We've discipled. We've disciplined. That means we love them enough to discipline and disciple them. That doesn't mean we abuse them. It means that 
you have conversations. I, I told the first service, our little Jesse, when, when he was little, and I disciplined and discipled Ethan, Rebecca a little bit, Ethan a little bit. Not, and I would tell you, the earlier you do it, the better. Don't wait till they're half your size, and they've already, wills already made up, and they've already, and people say, well, I don't want to break their will. Are you kidding? It's exactly what you want to break. It's their will that's got a problem. So you talk with them first, and you, you communicate. And I would sit them down and say, son, now, I love you. But if you continue to do this, I'm asking you not to do it. If you continue to do that, I need you to understand, then I'm going to spank you. Do you understand? And they go, yes, I understand. Okay, now, I don't want to spank you. I hate spanking you, so do me a favor. Don't do that anymore. Okay. And then sometimes they'd go do it again, most of the time probably more than once because I don't like to spank them. But good Lord, there's a couple times when it's like the, the no? Oh, yeah, we, we got a problem. Or they continue down, then, then we bring them back. Now, you don't disciple while you're angry. And when I say spank, you see, God gave you this thing. It's a hand. And he gave kids this butt, and it's got a lot of pad on it, and it's made for that. And you can put your hand on their rear end, and it ain't going to kill them, especially if you're not angry. So we have the conversation, literally, my little boy. Okay, so Jesse, Daddy asked you to not do that, right? Yes. Jesse, you understood when I told you that, right? Yes. So, Jesse, what do you think I should do? Pink me? Literally, it's like, it made sense. Okay. Now, instantly, you pick them up, and you love on them. And you say, son, I so love you. Please don't do that anymore. I hate spanking you. I don't want to have to spank you. I love you. Off they go. God disciplines those that he loves. Because he knows, here's what we're teaching. We're teaching our kids that there's a God who loves us. And there's wages for sin. And they're for keeps. You know what the wages of sin is, right? Death, that's eternal death. So we must teach our kids at an early age that there's a price to pay for disobedience. And if we love them, we will train them and disciple them and teach them. See, disciple is the word that comes out of discipline. If you don't disciple in discipline, you're just punishing. That's what we have in the prison system. It's just punishment. There's no discipling. There's no, dis there's no teaching. There's no training. There's just punishment. And all you're going to get from punishment is angry people that have been hurt, and they want to come out and hurt people. That's, that's not good. That's not our mission. So that is, that is how we do that. Now, when I disciplined Ethan one time, I got to disciple him a little bit because... Mom had to bring him to the jewelry store. She said, you were only in third grade, so it's been a long time since you've got discipled. He's a quick learner. But the Lord told me after we had our whole conversation, after I discipled him, the Lord said, now go buy him an ice cream. And I was like, say, what? There's a yogurt shop right next to our jewelry store. I'm like, that went too far. Like, I ain't buying this kid. Like, are you serious? Like, that must not have been the Lord. And he said, buy him an ice cream. 
that's what I do with you. You guys, that was a lesson my son needed to hear, and I needed to hear. And you, so you know what I did when he goes, what? And I said, I'm going to buy you an ice cream. What kind of ice cream you want? He goes like, what? You're buying me an ice cream? I said, yeah. You know why? Because it's exactly what Jesus does with us. He needed to know that, that, you know what? Our, our, our God loves us so much that he will discipline us, but as soon as we recognize that, we go, Dad, I'm sorry. I messed up. He goes, we're good. We're good. How about some ice cream? That's the love of God, and that's, that's the discipline and discipling, the teaching that we need to, as leaders, instill in our homes. You hearing me? It means that we care for leaders. We've discipled, disciplined, cared for, protected our children. If you don't care for your children and protect them and disciple them and teach them, and discipline them, you're not qualified to lead in the church. You gotta be faithful. We gotta live in such a way before them that they're not turned off to the gospel. They're not turned off to the church. Church, we all have a responsibility in that. That it's not just what happens on Sunday, it happens on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday that our kids see us live honorable lives before the Lord. And they will, guess what they'll want to do? They'll want to do the same. They'll see the blessing, the fruitfulness. They'll see us when we make mistakes, when we do something dumb. We'll own it, and we'll go to them and say, guys, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have done that. Dad messed up. We'll be honest before them. We'll, we'll have integrity. That if we do blow it, we'll go and tell them, I'm sorry, I messed up. Not holier than thou. They won't be turned off by the hypocrisy of the church or double standards. We have to live in such a way that we represent Christ so well to our family that they want to grow up and serve the Lord. That they want to. Their desire is to do that. People, we want to take, people like in the church like to take the verse, well, it says train up a child in the way they should go, and when they're old, they won't depart. Yeah, what he said, train them up in the way they should go. It means you need to train them up godly, this way, and they won't depart. But if you were a complete hypocrite, and were double standard, and you didn't, and you were so religious, and it doesn't represent Christ, you can't claim that. If you're a pastor, and you sacrificed your kids on the altar... And you put the church and ministry and all the other stuff ahead of, your ahead of your own kids. And when they were at their ball game, dad couldn't come to the game because they were ministering to somebody. Dad couldn't be at their thing because they were ministering to somebody. Dad couldn't be at home and have dinner because they were ministering to somebody. You think they're going to have a love for Christ, a love for the church? They're not. And when we as leaders are doing that, we are way out of bounds. You're not qualified to be leading the church. In church, we've got to see leaders, and this is why the Lord made it very plain when I came into leadership here. He said, you need to keep your family first. And he showed me, my qualifications to lead as a pastor is my family. And this moment I start sacrificing my family for ministry, that ministry needs to go away. Because I need to get back on track with the first call that I have, and that's to be the priest of my home to be a good representative to my kids so that they'll want to glorify and honor God. 
that I won't sacrifice them on the altar of ministry because you're not going to be pleasing God. And I don't know too many ministers that are going to be happy that they saved the world, but their kids are in hell. It ain't going to happen. You better believe it. If, if it means my family or you all, the choice has already been made. And there ain't a father or a mother who are fit to be a father or mother who don't make that decision. That doesn't mean I don't love you. That doesn't mean I'm not going to pour myself out for you. I will. But there's going to be times, and thank God for my wife. She knows me. I've, be, I've been in error. I've poured out myself in different ministries for more than I should have. And there's so many things that need to happen in a church, and there's so many meetings that we need to make, and we need to meet with this person. i got to get with this group of people. We need to have, and every once in a while she'll go, what about us? When are we just going to have a night just for the family? How will we have that? If and, I, and at first, I'll be honest, I get a little frustrated. I'm like, oh, i got to get all this stuff. And then, but it doesn't take long. The Lord's like, she's right. And I go, thank you, Holy Spirit. Sometimes sounds like my wife. <laughs> that was a really good choice for the music to come on. You want to lead in the church. You want to be used by the God. Don't put ministry above your family. They shouldn't suffer for the sake of ministry. Your family should not suffer for, for ministry's sake. I was way out of balance early on, and I unfortunately had someone leading me that was okay with that and actually pushed it. That challenged me. At one point, I was doing uh, Tuesday night. We had our youth services. Wednesday night was prayer at the church. Thursday night was worship practice. I played the drums. Friday night, half the time was youth outreach stuff that we would do. And then that left Saturday, Sunday morning, and Sunday night services. And it finally got to a point where I told the pastor, I said, Pastor, I need third, like that prayer night, I, I need to be with my family. And he was like, no, you need to be in prayer. And finally it came to a point, I said, Pastor, I said, I love you. I said, but if the church doesn't think I pray, then what am I in the position for? You're going to have to have some balance. And um, Richard and April could tell you that there was this last time that a MERS group went by. I told Richard and April, I said, I don't want you guys going to the MERS group. And they were like, what? We want to go. Like, we enjoy it. No. And I don't want you leading one. I don't want you. And they were like, okay, well, we'll just go to one. No, I don't want you going to one. I want you to stay home. I want you, if you're going to do a MERS, just do it with your family. You got enough things going on in your, in your life. Take that night. And just be with your family. The church, I've got to set that standard and example here before you so that you'll do it. Amen? Now, it's not easy. It's hard because there's a lot of times it's, you have that, that wrestling going on inside you because you do want people to get touched and you do see things that need to happen and you do, but the Lord's able to use you guys too. And I got to be able to learn that, that look, just because I see it doesn't mean I have to do it. But that's a challenge at times. And there's times that my family knows that there's times i got to leave. There is times. That's part of it. There's times you have to go do different things. But it can't be all the time. Amen? If a man's led his family, has not led his family well, cared for his wife well, provided for and loved and disciplined his family well, he is not fit to lead the Lord's family. 
Amen? Cared for. It goes on and it says it shouldn't be a new plant. Well, the Greek word is, it says a new believer, but the Greek word means a new plant. How many people got gardens going this year? How many people planted anything? When something, when you fresh, freshly plant something, it's pretty fragile, isn't it? It doesn't take much. You can't, you can't like be too rough with it. You got to take care of it, make sure there's a good spot around it, plenty of water in the right spot. So as it starts going without some water as regularly, what does that plant have to do? It's got to reach down deeper into the soil. It's got to find some so its roots start growing deep. What happens when the wind and the adversity starts coming against a little plant or a young tree? It's got to start strengthening it up, and it builds and, and, and gets the roots out further out so it gets stable. So over time, that new plant, if it gets too much adversity early on, it ain't going to survive. How many's had new plants that it got too much sun and not enough water too soon? Or the dog ran by, it was a brand new young plant, and broke it off right at the plenty of those that's why we don't put biblically don't put new plants new believers people that are young in the Lord into positions of leadership you need to have gone through some stuff you need to have had some hard times where your roots had to sink down deep into the Word of God into who he is you've had to went through some storms and some adversity that made you stretch out and grow your faith and become strong so that when you do get put in front of people, because you're going to face adversity, you're going to face some challenges, you're gonna, that you're going to be able to stand. Isn't God wise? We need to follow his plan. The last part of that is that he says you don't become, if you're young and, and, or you go into leadership, you could become prideful. And become lifted up with pride. The Greek word is tufoo, and it means covered in smoke or puffed up. He doesn't want you to get covered in smoke and puffed up. Because when you're puffed up and you're covered in smoke, you can't see clearly. Another word that's used for that Greek word is where we get the word typhoon. I thought this was pretty comical. We get the English word typhoon from the Greek word, which tells us, this is my interpretation, tells us a new or inexperienced person of leadership can make wrong decisions that can create chaos and turmoil and make quite a mess. <laughs> that word typhoon, I was like, ooh, that ain't good. That's chaotic. That is a mess. That is damage. So we got to follow the Lord's plan, amen? So if you're young in the Lord, it's a good thing to want to be in leadership, but then you need to start applying these truths and these principles in your life so that you can live an honorable life so that those qualities and those characteristics are seen in your life, so that the Lord then can trust you, and you take care and tend of whatever your little family might be. Or maybe it's the employees at your job. Maybe, like the, the last part of the verses there, it says that you must have a good reputation with those outside the church. It's one thing to have a good reputation in the church. What about those outside? You see, those outside the church could be your neighbors, people you work with, I told the first service, what if you are the leader and you're a part of a church and the leader or just you as ministry people? You live in the court and the block and all these people's lawns are nice and they got all this, but your house, the weeds are up to here. The dog's running around, chewing up every other neighbor's stuff and doing their business in their yard. You're screaming and yelling all the time and the people can't sleep. You got your music up super loud. 
And everyone in that neighborhood's like, good Lord, I can't wait for that guy to move. What's your testimony? What's your witness to your community? What if you're working with people? I used to work with a guy in, in underground construction. He was a Christian. And he would always be witnessing, which was good, except for he was doing it when we had to work. And we worked very hard, very physical labor. And you would be working heavily, and he'd be talking all the time. And after a few months, I finally took him aside. I said, hey, bro, I think it's great that you witnessed, but I think you need to do it at lunchtime and after work. He's like, well, I got to listen to the Holy Spirit. I said, bro, I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit ain't telling you to be lazy. I said, I don't even want to work with you. Because every time we work together, I do all the work and you talk. How much more for all these people who aren't Christians? I'll promise you, they don't, your testimony is garbage. He didn't like it. But you know what, guys? We should have such a reputation that other people in the community, they want to work with us. If you're going to call yourself a Christian and you wear that Christian t-shirt, by God, you better work your tail off. You better show up to work on time. You better put in an honest hours and days work. You, be, you shouldn't be leaving 15 minutes earlier like some other people do. You should be the person that they go, I like working with him. And that gives you the open door to be able to minister to people. That gives you the open door that when you say things, they listen and they go, oh, wow, that's really good. Not that, oh, they cheat with the rest of us. Oh, they talk about one another like everyone else. That's Bible. We must have a good reputation with those outside the church. Well, we went way over today. I almost said I apologize, but I don't. And you know what? I'm super excited. We have a very good church, and, and most of you are, you know, in that area. But we gotta we gotta step it up in this last day, in this hour. We we gotta step it up. We gotta make sure that we are honorable people. That we're those people that people want to work with. That we're those people that people see a difference in us. And it's got to be that Jesus is in us. Amen. Not that, not that we went to 15 different schools or not that they could go, oh, they're awesome because they got this great education. No, they need to say they're awesome because they got this love inside of them. There's something different about them. And then they ask, what is that? And we go, oh, it's Jesus. It's Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, why don't you stand with me? I'm going to pray with you. Dismiss you.